Welcome to the Scale Up Your Business podcast. In this podcast, we talk about what it takes to go from startup to scale up and beyond. How to significantly grow your business, create freedom, build wealth, and live life on your terms. Featuring some very special guests and experts to give you advice and direction on your journey. And now, introducing your host, entrepreneur, investor, and scale-up specialist, Nick Bradley. Hi, everybody. Nick Bradley here, and welcome to Scale Up Your Business. This week's interview is with Cara Golden. Now, she is the founder and CEO of Hint, and I'm going to get into what Hint is in a second. And she is also the author of a fantastic book called Undaunted, Overcoming Doubts and Doubters. So let me come back to um, Hint for a second. So Hint is an award-winning water. It's the leading unsweetened flavored water brand, certainly in the US. Um, now, the, the funny part about this is that we've been talking for a while about Cara coming on the show, and I really wanted to bring her in because I love the way she thinks about leadership, the way she thinks about business and her experience and the way that she has managed to get to where she has and the success that she's achieved is just an inspirational story. And as we started to talk, she said, listen, I want to send you literally a crate, a big box of hint water. And it's no mean feat to get something like that from one side of the planet to the other, but it arrived. And it didn't take less than, I think, 24 hours, maybe 48 hours at a stretch before every single bottle of Hint water was drunk. And that was by my two daughters, my nine and my six-year-old. And I, I think I got a taste of the different flavors, <laughs> but it was like a, a small taste. I think the only bottle I had for myself was the, was the lemon one. But it was a really nice gesture to get that. And, you know, it just showed also that the 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 amount of passion that that Cara has put into the product. But the, the conversation today really is partly about that and partly about that success, as I said, but it's really about her and how she has managed to triumph through doubt, through uncertainty, and how she has really driven through all of those things that we might call fears and limiting beliefs. And we talk a lot today about how you can do that, why you should do that, and what sits on the other side of facing into sometimes those fears. She's also got the Cara Golden Show, where she interviews founders, entrepreneurs, and other disruptors across multiple industries, and she lives in the San Francisco Bay Area. So listen, you're going to love this. She's a powerhouse, huge amount of energy. I love this conversation. I love Hint Water. Welcome to Scale Up Your Business, Cara Gold. Okay, hello everybody. It's Nick here again for another live streaming episode of Scale Up Your Business. And as always, I've got an amazing guest. I've been looking forward to this. We've been trying to organize this for so long. Um, and I'll tell a little bit of a story about that in a second. But Cara Golden, welcome to Scale Up Your Business. Hey, thanks for having me. Great to have you here. So Cara is the founder and CEO of Hint, and that is an award-winning, well, what would you call it? It's flavored water. What else would you call it? Uh, you know, it's water that just tastes better. <laughs> and it's uh, it's just fruit and water, and that's it. No sweeteners in it. That's the cool thing, right? So so here's the funny story, right? So sometimes when people come on the show, it takes a little bit of time to get our teams together and booking and all that sort of thing. So um, Cara, you know, very generously sent a whole box of her water, of Hint water. Uh, I think it was November, maybe December. <laughs> I can't remember. And of course, it got drunk in my house because I've got a nine and a six-year-old daughter, daughters. And uh, yeah, they loved it. So, it's, you know, it's got the Thank stamp you. of approval already. And we're not in the UK yet, but we're getting a lot of, we were, our, we had plans uh, prior to the pandemic to get over there. We really wanted to produce as locally as possible. So we were in the midst of looking at that and then Brexit and, you know, all kinds of things going on. Know, so, it's crazy. So, right. So, uh, but we will get there and, and uh, we're getting a lot of pull because there really isn't anything quite like it in outside of the U.S. It's a really great product and I enjoyed it. It didn't last long enough and I didn't get to, well, actually I tried every flavor, but I had people taking it off me, little ones. That's it. Thank you. Thank um, 
A little bit more about you, though. So you're also the author of a book called Undaunted, which we're going to talk about today, which is um, Overcoming Doubts and Doubters. So I want to talk a little bit about your entrepreneurial journey in that respect. Uh, active speaker, writer, and you're also the host um, of your own podcast, which is The Cara Golden Show, which you interview founders, entrepreneurs, and other disruptors. I love that. Um, cool. So let's get into it. So welcome. And a little bit of your backstory, because I've already done a little bit of your kind of, you know, you went to Arizona State and I know all these kind of things, but take us through your entrepreneurial journey to kick things off. Yeah. So I I uh, went to university in, in Arizona. I grew up in Arizona and then ended up uh, wanting to be a journalist. And I moved to New York, uh, tried to get a job with a publication called Fortune. They wouldn't hire me. So I took a job. I got a job with uh in the same building with time magazine and uh, a couple years later was recruited out of there to go and work at a, a sort of later stage startup we didn't really know that term back then but it called cnn and uh so was there with ted turner still kind of running around and screaming down the hall hallway it was a lot of fun and uh then i moved to silicon valley uh and that's when i i had been following this guy Steve Jobs. And, um, you know, it, it, it's funny, I don't think very many people I knew were kind of following him that weren't in tech, but I was really impressed with that he had made this beautiful machine when everything prior to this Apple machine in my mind was just this ugly, grayish kind of gross machine. And suddenly there was this cute little Apple on this machine. It was simple. It was beautiful, graphically interested. And he was kind of the only person that I sort of new uh, that lived in Silicon Valley. So I thought, I wonder if I can go get a job at Apple. And then I thought, eh, they'd never hire me because I don't have tech, ex tech experience. But I had heard about a little startup that was doing shopping. And I thought, ah, you know, I don't know, maybe I could just get a job as an executive assistant or something. I don't know. So I cold called the guy that I saw when I did a little search. This is even before Google. So it was very not that easy to go and do search. And uh, just offered to take this guy to coffee. And he said, well, what do you do? And I said, well, I just moved here from CNN and from New York, but working for you know, CNN and, and uh, Time. And he said, you work for CNN? And he said, oh, come, come in, right? It was just, it was- So CNN was no, because you said it was like, you know, not really a startup, but it was, it was relatively it, early. It was but... the early 90s, but it was still kind of this hot thing that was sort yeah. of disrupting, you know, national news, right? Well, media and... back then was pretty cool. I mean, what's interesting, right, is we had um, similar backgrounds. So my background was media with News International for quite a long time. Right, so you... uh, in the 90s too, actually, 90s and 2000s. But yeah, back then, any media brand sort of before digital really took off was kind of cool, wasn't it? It's like, you know, yeah, you were working for was... one of them. It was like, it was the hottest ticket in town. So I, yeah, exactly. And, you know, I mentioned it because it, working for a brand, I mean, that was like the first time my dad used to say, you know, brands matter. And I, and that was the first time when, I mean, it didn't matter. He didn't really even ask me what I did at CNN and I was in business development and sales, but it was, I mean, it was fascinating to me because just the brand of CNN got me that coffee date. Right. And so then we started talking and he was explaining this product. He had worked at Apple and there were basically five guys in the company and they were doing the CD-ROM shopping thing. And he was explaining it. And I thought, oh, it's really interesting. You're going to put a bunch of catalogs that I'm a catalog shopper. You're going to put a bunch of them on the disc. And then I, I remember sitting here looking at him thinking, okay, how do you make money though? And he said, well, we haven't really figured that out yet. <laughs> and See, I, these days that doesn't matter, right? You know, right. We, we were talking offline about, you know, Clubhouse doesn't make any money. It's now yeah. worth a billion bucks. So <laughs> that was my first taste of Silicon Valley where I said, you know, just incredible people. Ideas can come from anywhere. And I, and I said, wait, you don't know how to make money? Here I'd been, Ted Turner really cared about money, right? And it was just, and Time Magazine really cared about money. And all of a sudden I'm like, this is gold. Like here, here are these five guys in an office. Wasn't that weird though? Because I'm, I'm really old school, right? Like I, yeah. I get involved in profitable cash flow generative totally. businesses. I'm not really a tech guy, you know, I've been involved in it, but that must've been unusual. Did you, did, I mean, you can sort of see it, but did you must've, challenged it quite a bit in your own mindset at that point just to kind of feel comfortable there well like, you know 
when I when I was challenging it, that's when you know they started. A couple of their investors were in the room when I was asking. I said, "Yeah, you guys still haven't figured out how to make money, but it seems really cool." And at that point, this guy Ted Leonsis, who was at one of our, he was at America Online, and he was involved in. He was an investor in this company called Two Market, uh, that was you know exactly the the five guys out of Apple. And he said, maybe you should hire her because she actually cares about money and money would be a really good thing. And I said, so what would I do exactly? And, and they said, well, you could actually go up to the catalogers. And I said, oh, like I could go and meet people from the gap and J crew. And I mean, that sounds like an awesome job. And I didn't really think that they would hire me to be honest with you, because I thought, who would hire me? I mean, I have no experience. I have no idea what I'm doing. And I remember getting my my offer letter. And in the offer letter, there was, you know, the salary and the bonus and all that kind of stuff. I was going to be making more money than I had made in New York. But all of a sudden, I, I like looking into the details. My husband is a brand new intellectual property attorney. And he looks at it and he said, they're giving you equity. And I said, what do you mean? Like, what's equity? And he said, I don't know. I mean, I know what equity is, but he said, you've got equity for pennies in this company. And I said, so that's crazy. And and he said, yeah, you know, I mean, if the company does well, you'll do well, but if it doesn't do well. So anyway, America Online acquired us six months later. And, the, and with the acquisition, I mean, I just didn't even know what any of the stuff meant, but I just knew that I was learning and having fun. And suddenly I was given this channel called shopping and they said, do exactly what you've been doing at, at two market and continue to go out and try and charge people money. And really what you're doing is you're teaching people how to actually bring their catalog online. America online was a private service. So it was faster um, than some of the other, you know, offerings that were out there. And, uh, seven years later, I'm, I'm, you know, running this billion dollar business, but I mean, so many stories from there. Some of my share in the story, some of them. No, were well, let's, let's, um, let's pause, cut, I think, because yeah. I, we want to go into, yeah. into, into the next phase after that, but yeah. some interesting things in that. So you ended up with a channel and a check, let's call it that <laughs> right at that point, yeah. which is awesome. Right. And six months. I mean, one of the things I talk a lot about is because people ask about what, you know, how do you become successful in business? And I say, Ultimately, it takes the mix of four things, right? It takes skill set. You need to be able to offer value in some way, whatever that is. It might be in a domain. It might be like sales and marketing. But you need to be able to add value. You need to have really good mindset. So you need to believe that you can achieve pretty much anything. You need to have a good network or connection or, or certainly be, be around that. That whole proximity is power. And you need to have good timing. Right? <laughs> timing is the one that's a bit odd. That, you know, That's often about just being curious and present and aware. Uh, and it sounds like all of those things kind of came together for you in that one. Well, I would, I mean, the only piece that I would say, I guess I didn't really have in there was the network. So, and I, and, you, you had know, the brand, I suppose, instead. I you, talked, had, you had, yeah, you had the credibility behind you of this cool thing, but that was it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and I think what's interesting, I mean, two market wasn't a brand, right? And in America online at the time, there was, some of these services, CompuServe, Prodigy. I mean, they were number three for a while. I mean, we were not, and then there were lots of like Yahoo and Excite and all these other companies were coming into play. So we had plenty of competition. We had plenty of, you know, we were sort of the underdog initially. But what I learned is that actually your, real, your, your ability to just kind of pick up the phone and talk to people and actually get something done. But also, I mean, one of the stories I share in the book is one with uh, Mickey Drexler and he was the CEO of the gap at the time. And, you know, all my friends who are working at the gap, I'm, you know, in my twenties, right. They're all working at the gap, slugging it away. And suddenly I'm like, yeah, I just got a, I just got a meeting with Mickey Drexler. They're like, how do you get a meeting with Mickey Drexler? I'm like, I don't know. They're like, what are you going to say? And I said, I'm going to teach him about, online and Amer at, and I had no idea really. I mean, you have to have the, you have to be okay. I think also with going into the unknown a little bit and being a little uncomfortable. I mean, I, you know, there was a little part of me that said, you know, if I'm an idiot, I mean, Mickey might throw me out of the office. And, but one of the stories I share in my book is one that I still think back on where, you know, Mickey was looking at my computer 
And he had been pitched so many different internet companies, I'm sure, and uh, different ways for him. They didn't have a uh, store for the Gap at the time. And, uh, and But for whatever reason, I made it seem simple to him. And we, I spent, I was willing to spend a lot of time with him, you know, really sharing, okay, the difference between us and them is that we're a closed service. So things are going to be faster and, you know, but you guys actually have a lot of work to do. And, and I'll, I'll never forget Mickey saying, what do you mean? Like, we're the gap, you know? And I said, yeah, but you guys don't actually do the back end. I mean, you don't do individual orders. You do bulk orders into your stores. Doing an individual order is really hard. And he's like, what do you know about our, you know, like, why where do did we- you get, Where did you become good at um, influence? I don't know. I mean, I just, again, I sort of, I, I think what I've always been able to do is kind of break it down into some simple way. But it's this, it, it's this very- complicated i'm sure you've been in these situations before where you're with these senior people you you understand that they don't really understand but you run the risk of of really uh you know kind of assassinating your situation right if you if you say oh you know mickey you're so you know come on well, there's two, well, there's two, the reason i asked that question right there's, there's two parts to it in my mind right there's one about how do you make the complex simple Right, which is a skill in its own right, because lots of people try and do the opposite or they don't they're not aware they do the opposite. And then the best definition of influence that I've ever heard, I don't even know where this came from, but it's not the ability to convince someone they should believe something, it's to convince someone that you actually believe it. Right. And if you think about that, that level of conviction yeah. can yeah. really make a shift. Yeah. And I don't know, maybe being the last of five kids, maybe I had to have that. <laughs> like, well, I, was, I, was, I was reading your story, you know, be. it says at 14, you were in a, like a local toy store in Scottsdale, Arizona, and you were doing buying for the whole store at 14. Like, yeah, so good someone, time. You know, even yeah. back then, you know, you obviously had this ability. Well, it's funny. I was actually explaining this to my 15 year old son the other day when I brought him into a local craft store in San Francisco. And he's, you know, bringing a 15 year old boy into a craft store is like, you know, <laughs> he wants his Fortnite game. You know, he's just like, he's just like, oh my God, can we get out of here? And it reminded me of how I actually got that job at the toy store. My mom used to go into this fabric store and I just, you know, didn't want to be in there anymore. And so there was a toy store next door to the fabric store. So I just go in there and just start looking around. And, and then finally the lady, Nancy, who was in the toy store said, uh, would you ever want a job? I really need somebody on Sundays to do the cash register. Now you're 14. I don't know about you, but I had like a toy cash register that I used to play with, you know? Yeah. Years ago. I mean, you know, I look young, but I'm pretty old. Trust me. I hadn't even, when I was 14, I guess maybe I stopped playing when I was like eight or nine, but I thought, Oh, I get to, I get to take money from people. I mean, this is when people actually didn't use credit cards as much. And uh, so I just thought it would be really fun. And I remember getting this job on Sundays and I had four older brothers and sisters who were all off working and making money. And I was so proud of myself that I had the Sunday job. And uh, I remember my dad said to me, you know, did they, did they ask you for an ID? I mean, do they know that you're not 16? And I said, I don't have an ID. I mean, I don't have a driver's license. And he said, well, that's true. Did they ever ask you? And I said, no. And so suddenly, it, and he, he just kind of thought it was funny at first. And I did too. And I thought, I don't know. And maybe at some point they'll just tell me to leave. Right. And that's when she realized, I mean, look, I'm a kid and I'm in the store talking to adults about what kids want. I totally got it. I got the situation. So people would walk in and, you know, I, I, they, they'd be stuck and I'd say Legos and they, oh gosh, of course, Legos. And there was, anyway, it was just, it I always, was I like to unpack these things you see, because there's often lots of stuff that, I mean, I'm sure when you write a book, you kind of reflect a lot anyway, don't you? Yeah. So there's a lot of things that come together. I'm in the process of doing it now, but um, it's totally I just, I, I read that story and I thought, yeah, it's interesting because a lot of the stuff that, you know, the this, this successful entrepreneurs have different patterns and programming that happen around them. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's parents, sometimes it's experiences, it's definitely environment. And, and I just read that part of your story and I thought that's interesting because someone, even at that age, you were doing stuff that, you know, not most 14 year olds are doing that level of responsibility. 
Yeah. And, and that was, and, and then Nancy, you know, she was just getting divorced actually. And she was a single mom. And, and I remember her, you know, asking me to take on more hours, which I would after school. And then, and then finally she said, would you want to come with me to the toy show and help me do some of the buying? And she started talking to me, not even really knowing she was probably even doing this, but as she was thinking about different, um, different products, she was also talking about margins and markups and all of these things that I hadn't learned in school, right? And I'd go home and I was just sitting at the dinner table with my dad, who was also in in uh, marketing, but also product development for a food company. And, and he said, that's fascinating that you're learning all of these things and good for you, you know, but again, it was just sort of, it was fun. And I was making a little bit of money and, and I just thought it, it was, it was great, but I had no idea when I was in it that I was, that, you know, I didn't sit here even after that job say, okay, one day, I'm going to go and be an entrepreneur. I think I actually said, I'm not going to run a toy store. I'm pretty sure after <laughs> well, you that. Your, you probably wanted your Sundays back to do cool stuff, but yeah, you know, exactly. a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of entrepreneurs don't realize the stuff that they have. Like, as I said, it's the number of people I interview and they casually remark on sort of Sunday lunch conversations or, you know, dinner dinner conversations with parents where, you know, they're, they're surrounded by different conversations, entrepreneurial conversations or the opposite sometimes. Like sometimes it can be, the struggle that they witness their parents going through. Yeah. And then that sparks, you know, the, the, both of them are interesting, I suppose, paradigms. But I always like to unpack that a bit just to sort of see where the, where the foundations are, you know, in terms of things. No, it's so, it's so true. And, and I think to your point, when you're writing a book, I mean, I, I, this was my journal for four years. And after I was doing a ton of public speaking and people would ask, you know, the Q&A at the end and they'd ask some questions about, you know, my journey. And I, uh, you know, I, I would basically go back to my room after these conversations and start journaling because I thought maybe even for my own boredom, I thought, I don't want to tell the same story over and over again, but instead there were maybe three or four of these stories. And then as I started thinking about it, maybe there's eight of these stories, nine of these stories. So this journal was actually over 600 pages when I decided, gosh, there's so many things in here that could help a lot of people know that it's going to be okay, particularly for entrepreneurs, but also other people who are thinking about being an entrepreneur. I've always kind of been challenged by people labeling entrepreneurs as these fearless risk takers or unicorns versus failures. And I've always thought the step in between, um, maybe it's their journey, maybe it's their childhood. Some people have you know, we're probably born entrepreneurs. I don't know if I was, but I think along the way, I, I learned a lot of things. I also, you know, even people have said to me uh, in about their own life that maybe there's some things that they shouldn't have done that. And I'm always the first person to say, actually, nothing was a waste of time, right? It's all, if you believe that the dots eventually connect, which I do, then this is all part of the learning. And the fun is actually figuring out, you know, even where you failed or where you had challenges or where you were really scared and maybe you're not so scared of those things anymore. What were those things that brought you to today? And Did you and always believe that? I mean, you said just a second ago about the dots will come together. Did you always believe that? No, I, I don't think so. But when, But as I look back over time, I think that, it was, there There were so many pieces along the way where uh, I was living that way, but I didn't know it, no, right? In, in the struggle, you don't notice it. But but the, the point around, you know, serendipity or things coming together in that respect, do you believe that more now in hindsight? Totally. And, it, you yeah. know, one of the stories I share in the book is one where, you know, it's probably one of the most challenging times at, at Hint. We had a lot in building the company, but one of the more challenging times is uh, great a huge uh, uptick in in our company history when we got into Starbucks nationwide in eleven thousand locations throughout the U.S. We uh, thought we were so smart, did all got all the you know the understanding up front of sort of what was success. After a year and a half, we got an email, then a phone call with the new buyer who shared that we were going to be removed from the case. And my immediate response was, 
uh, oh, you must have another brand that you're talking about because we're doing three times what you told me was success. And uh, she said, no, we changed strategy and we're going to be putting food in the case. We're so sorry. And I remember hanging up the phone and I don't cry very often, but I cried because I had investors. I had six months of inventory and I was sharing this with a friend at that moment. And I remember thinking the reason I care about this is because it's 40% of my overall business. I wouldn't care if it wasn't 40% of my overall business, but it was a big number, right? And so that's when I said, okay, I got to figure out what to do with my inventory. How do I talk to my investors about this? And I was still in thinking mode. And that's when we got a phone call from Amazon. They were launching another Seattle company. They were launching their direct-to-consumer business. The first thing out of the buyer's mouth from Amazon he said, I love your product. I buy it every morning with my latte from Starbucks. And I didn't even see it then, but i that's when he ordered a truckload. We became one of the number one products on Amazon. And about a year later, that's when I really realized that, okay, it wasn't great what happened with Starbucks. I'm not really thrilled about c components of it. I always remembered that that's what that Amazon buyer said. And then ultimately, a year into the Amazon relationship, we realized another really important piece, which was that we weren't getting the data that we really wanted. And then I realized that I wasn't getting data out of any of my retailers and that basically they would wholesale my product and then they would own inventory. And it was their inventory. It wasn't my inventory anymore. And so they didn't feel that it was my product anymore. Even though I might've thought it was my brand, they felt that they had the rights to sort of own it. So why should I get the emails? So I launched my own direct-to-consumer business on drinkhint.com seven years ago. That's 55% of our overall business today. And I, it, it's like a whether it's a circle or a triangle, I haven't figured it out, but I go back to Starbucks, right? And, and I think those are the dots. It all connected. Yeah, and okay. It, it, there's a lot of things in this. Yeah, there are. <laughs> let's, go, and, let's go back to the um, the phone call, right? You know, the phone call when, you know, 40% of your sales are now compromised mm -hmm. and, and the tears and all that. Um, what was the lesson in terms of – I want to know timeframes too because I'm quite curious about these sort of things. But between that phone call and then finding out about Amazon, what was the timeframe between that? Do you remember? About two weeks. Okay. And what was the lesson, you know, in terms of that? Because you must have been thinking, obviously there's, you know, looking back again, isn't you? there must have been something interesting that you thought through that process. Was there, you know, I, I put too much of my eggs in one basket. I'm never going to do that again. For example, was that one of the things? What was the most one powerful lesson? Yeah. The most powerful lesson? That was, that was uh, up there for sure. Um, <laughs> but also, and, and I'll tell you, every one of, you know, I'm still the CEO of, of, I'll always be the founder, but I'm still the CEO of my company. And I think every person who's on my team would uh, share with you that the one thing that I, that is part of my journey is when I see business getting too big uh, from any partner that we deal with, it makes me nervous. Okay. And so it, and I think that that is, it, that that's a major, major lesson. And one that I, again, I didn't realize when I was in it and I'm so happy I went through it with, with Starbucks, but that also led to sort of how I managed during the pandemic. And, you know, we had three revenue streams coming into the company, not only uh, direct to consumer, but we are still in all of these different retailers, but we also had not 40%, but about 15% of our business in uh, what we call corporate food service. So we've been the largest beverage in Silicon Valley to Google, Facebook, lots and lots of uh, companies throughout the US, but really started in Silicon Valley. And when the pandemic hit, what did people do? They shut down the offices. And so if all of my eggs were in you know, Google or Facebook, Right. You can you can think about this. Maybe you don't have a physical product. Maybe you think that, OK, Facebook changes their algorithm and I'm dust. Right. It's the same thing. It's if you do not have options, then when there's a pandemic, when they cut off your business, you can look at it for supplier, whatever it is, then you're screwed. Right. And so I learned that super important lesson 
that almost tanked my business through Starbucks. And I am so thankful for it. And I look back and look at, and I, you know, I could say to Howard Schultz, I could sit and have a beer with him and say, I, you know, did it hurt? Did I not love you at the time? It's fine. But I learned a very valuable lesson that ultimately helped me to grow my business. Yeah. Well, most of the, most of the best lessons come from pain, <laughs> you know, and right? more and more importantly, you get resourceful. Well, you do two things. You either get really resourceful through that or you run away and hide and hibernate for a period of time. I and see you both. Freeze. <laughs> like the number of people who froze during the pandemic and just said, okay, we're going to hunker down. We're going to cut staff. We're not going to invest. We're not going to grow. I think Again, I look back on my journey and I mean, we're a 15-year-old company too. We've been through the financial crisis. We've been through, you know, lots of different things. The first thing I did when all of our, uh, you know, when 15% of our business went away with the corporate food service business uh, and we immediately figured out that we could put it into our direct-to-consumer business. Our direct-to-consumer business has tripled since March. Our overall company sales are up over 50%. I mean, it's been a crazy year. In addition to launching a book, I mean, it's been it's been. Yeah, I was going to say you don't uh, you don't rest, uh, which is good actually. I like that as well. Well, I was going to ask you about the book, so yeah. particularly the overcoming doubts and doubters, because that in itself conjures up a lot of different thoughts and questions. What's what's the what's the overriding message in your book? I mean, obviously there's a lot of them, but what's the one thing that you're really trying to get across? Yeah, well, I think that the main thing is that. People think that these entrepreneurs and I'm, you know, one of them are these, they are lucky. They had it all figured out. They're, you know, fearless risk takers. And, and I've met a lot of entrepreneurs. You've met a lot of entrepreneurs. We all had fears. We all were knowing that there was a chance that we were going to fail. There was also a chance that we were going to succeed. Uh, there were hard days along the way. If you talk to any of these entrepreneurs that have been successful, they had fears and failures and, and, you know, they just kept going, right? They didn't stop. They, they figured out a way to keep moving. And so just through my own stories, as I mentioned before, I feel I started to hear after I started public speaking more people would write to me through social media and say, thank you so much. You helped me in so many ways to figure this thing out. Or I don't feel so alone when I have, you know, 45 venture capitalists who have, who have said, sorry, but no thanks. And things along the way where sometimes you just need to hear somebody else's story to know that you're going to be okay. And so I thought about about two years ago, I didn't even think of writing a book. I mean, I call myself an accidental entrepreneur. I call myself an accidental author. I knew a few authors and I had this journal and I was planning on just taking it to the copy shop and, you know, binding it and handing it out to people because I thought, I think anytime you're in a role where you can help people, and certainly I felt that way with Hint from just hearing from customers say, you've really helped me to drink water. But I started hearing about someone's journey and, you know, meant you call it mentorship or management or whatever. But I just thought if I can actually help people to move forward and, and do something, then that's what I want to do. And that's when I, I just got the book out there. And I, I just, the response has been a little overwhelming and in, in a really great way, because, you know, again, you get it out to bigger audiences and people get to see it more. And I, you know, I really, even though our product hint is not in the uh, UK or Asia. I mean, the number of people who have said, you know, I'm just like you. I, I, you know, had this idea and I had this solution, but I wasn't in that industry and I kind of had doubts whether or not I could do it. But then I just kept trying a little bit and getting traction. And sometimes you just need to hear those stories to really know that it's, it's possible. And how's it been? No, I get that fully. And how's it been different? Cause you've got a podcast, which because I get this in terms of I get people all the time saying you've changed my life, which is great, right? You know, and yeah. it's one of the it's one of the gifts that you don't really expect. I didn't expect it. And how have you found it different? Because you've got a podcast and a book. Uh, is the is the feeling for you different, or is it just you know uh, a different way of communicating? You know who you are, your message, how you can um, help and inspire people. Yeah. So the purpose I started about three years ago. The purpose was I felt a little selfish that I would get to meet 
so many great people. And I would, I, I mean, honestly, and I would share with my team or share with my friends that I would, you know, get to meet this amazing entrepreneur and, and I would share my story. And then I, I thought, gosh, I wonder if I can start recording these stories. I didn't even call it a podcast initially. And, and uh, see, and so I would ask people, obviously, if it was okay. And then I, and then this whole podcasting thing came about and I thought, oh, maybe I could get it on there. But my purpose is really to, I mean, I learn so much when I'm talking to people as well, which is a lot of fun for me, but also just getting their stories out there. So just super interesting, you know, how do you feel about things? And, you know, did you have those fears? Did you have those failures? And uh, it's a lot of fun. And, and again, I think it's, uh, it, it, it's been, you know, really rewarding for me as well. But it's also, I, I think sometimes these stories, sometimes people just don't know that people are interested, which I think is so fascinating. You know, when I ask, I, I'm always looking for people too, that really are not kind of on the typical uh, circuit, right? Where uh, they've got brands or they've got really interesting stories that I know about them. Uh, and uh, I just actually recorded, uh, it went live this week. Uh, do you know Pop Chips? Oh, yeah. We have them here sometimes. Yeah. yeah. I, I think so, was, I'm thinking back to the snack drawer in the house. Yeah. So Keith, <laughs> Keith Belling, who's a friend of mine, yeah. is the founder of Pop Chips and, you know, built an amazing brand. And then he left. And, and you know, how do you feel about building a brand? And then, you know, and now he's doing something else, totally different in a different category. It's just, uh, anyway, it's a fascinating uh, now I want to ask you that question, you see, because you're going to say, oh, you can't ask me that question. Is that, is that kind of what you're thinking? Well, you know, <laughs> it's 15 years or whatever it's been, uh, 16 years. I, again, I love what I'm doing, but I'm always so curious. And, and, you know, it's, it, it really is. I mean, he's, he's now, he's got a product called right rice. It's, it's rice. It's not chips. It's very different, right? It's a different part of the store, but it's just, consumption and all different things. I mean, he had deals with Ashton Kutcher and lots of other, like, would you do influencers again? Like, these are questions that I would just ask you over coffee, right? And I get, again, I would come out of these meetings with like Hamdi at Chobani or, you know, Daniel from Kind. And I, I would just feel like so privileged, frankly, to be able to have these conversations. And I don't know, I've just always just kind of, as people say, you know, Kara's just funny. She just asks these questions that nobody really asks. And again, I don't try and put people on the hot seat. I really try and get them to kind of think about things. And I, I, anyway, I, I just... No, I get it. Successful people are curious, right? And, yeah, and by that, they, they and they're curious not because they necessarily have to have their voice being heard. They, they genuinely want to learn from others. And a lot of the time, it's about asking the questions that other people don't ask. Yeah, you know, I, I, I ask stupidly deep questions sometimes, um, and and some people find it really annoying. So I'm sort of a bit curbed on it. But the, the, the reality is, I like to know the psychology behind what makes people successful, right? So a lot yeah. of the stuff I do is, yeah. is all that. So and, and interestingly, we have and and on that because we're going to start to wrap up soon. We have got a, a question that's come through from um, someone out there watching this in yeah. the social media world. So Jim Parker has come in and said, "What drove or pushed you to to succeed?" Were you pulled by your dreams or pushed by your circumstances? It's a good question, actually. Really interesting. So I gave up drinking. My backstory uh, was I gave up drinking diet soda, diet Coke in particular, uh, when I had gained a bunch of weight um, over the course of actually three pregnancies at the time. I left my tech job. And, um, you know, sometimes when you take a break from working, I was taking a couple of years off and enjoying being a mom. And that's when I thought I'm going to get in shape and really try and figure out what I'm going to do next. But I wanted to really get healthy. And that's when I, I was paying attention to the food, but I wasn't paying attention to the drinks. And one day when I saw the ingredients in my diet soda, that's when I thought, huh, doesn't seem that great. Why am I putting it into my body? I'm going to just test it and see what would happen. I was shocked when I started drinking water in place of my diet soda. And two and a half weeks later, I lost over 20 pounds. Wow. I also had terrible adult acne and my energy. This was level. just diet soda as in stuff that would be generally considered zero yeah. calorie stuff. 
like a exactly. spa tank. At the time, it was 10 calories. They hadn't perfected it down to 10 to zero calories, but I was shocked. And I and then I started asking these questions, always curious, but I thought, why would diet allow me to get healthy? I, I mean, not get healthy, right? Why yeah, would yeah, yeah. you get up? And and I was just curious. And so I started doing all kinds of research and and then realized that, you know, I just didn't, I had thought that the word diet meant health. I, I still think about this all the time when you're in, you know, probably ask your kids, like if you take a vocabulary quiz, right? The word diet is not really a positive term, right? It's something that you have to do, right? Versus somewhere along the way, Maybe in the case of diet soda, it's when you're a teenager here, instead of regular soda, have diet. And that was me. I got hooked on diet. It's a misconception of weight control. So when people think of diet or going on a diet, most people go on a diet because they feel they have you know something in terms of their weight that they want to manage and, as and, opposed to lifestyle or something like that. And how we've been fooled along the way. I became so curious about this, uh, this concept. Also this drink called vitamin water had just. Yeah, okay. the, that. And it was over, I mean, it was crazy. The, the first vitamin water had over 300 calories in it. It was higher than a soda. That was never my drink, but I would talk to friends and I'd say, so why do you think that's healthy? I'm just curious. And they said, because it says water. And it says vitamins. Yeah, and I said, so you don't even read the labels? Nope, I don't. Because Power I'm, of marketing. Right. <laughs> so the, the net of it is, is that the that I was so fascinated by this, this what had happened to me, that that's when I thought, gosh, I, the reason I don't drink water is it's boring. And so I started slicing up fruit and throwing it in water in my kitchen. And I, when I went to the local store to look for a ready-made product, they didn't have it. I looked and looked and looked for almost a year and I could not find this product that I wanted. Everything was like vitamin water or these other drinks with sweeteners in it. And so I thought it would be really fun if I could develop a product while I was looking for a job. This was like, we didn't even call it a side hustle 15 years ago. That term was not yet here. But I thought if I can just go get it on the shelf, I could actually help a lot of people get healthy. And, and, so my purpose was not to start a beverage company. That was the tool to actually You just identified me. a problem that was actually I, a problem. I you wanted to solve for yourself, problem. wasn't it? Yeah. And I thought it'd be really freaking cool if I could help people. And that was it. And that today is still, I mean, there was nothing called purpose-driven companies or mission-driven companies. It was that people would say, oh, that's so cool that you start a beverage company. And I'd be like, I guess. I mean, I just never really thought about it that way, but I thought if I can actually, and, and from day one of getting the product on the shelf, I started hearing from consumers. They would write me. I never wrote somebody an email saying, oh, I love your product. I complained about stuff, right? And called customer service, but I was never the person. And I thought, this is so crazy. People are writing to me and saying that it's, you know, an amazing product. I mean, that's crazy. And I thought if I, I mean, I've never been in a position where people are saying, thank you so much for develop. I mean, it really wasn't that hard, but I thought here are these industries out there that are, uh, that are, you know, tricking people into believing things. They tricked me. If I can just get in there, if nothing else, it might not work. I might fail, but I'll be a great dinner guest, right? For people who are like, wait, hold on a minute. What did you do? You left eight well, and then you just decided to go start a beverage company. And I, you know, I, I don't know, wouldn't that be a fun conversation? Well, I think, I think anyone who does stuff that most people don't do is a fun conversation, right? Because, right? because mo most people, you know, and this is, this is my kind of the matrix red and blue pill piece, which is most people, you know, go and do something they hate or, or maybe to put it a little bit softer, I'm not inspired by they do it for 20 or 30 years. They kind of realize at the end that perhaps they should have done something different and then it's too late, right? That's, you know, you, if you, back to when we used to travel to work on subways and things like that, you see, I mean, how miserable does everyone look, right? It's like no one's really smiling. Well, and I go back, I mean, I go back and think about this. I mean, people said, oh, did you leave tech because it was horrible, or too male dominated, you know, whatever people were going to say. And I'm like, nope, I actually really liked it. 
I, you know, call me crazy, but I really enjoyed it. But the one thing that I will say, looking back and kind of connecting the dots is that I was bored. I had been through what's termed a hockey stick, right? And it was yep. super exciting, really, really fun. And then thank goodness it didn't sort of tank, but it leveled off. And that to me was just like, okay, now what are we doing? Right. I had just been on this like wild ride and I now think back and speaking to a lot of what you're talking about right now, that's when I saw this whole new industry that I really needed to kind of go to back down to the bottom. I had been, you know, one of the youngest vice presidents at AOL, one of the few female vice presidents. And, you know, it was just, it was great, but I was willing and not everybody's willing to do this. I was willing to go down to the bottom and go learn. People would, I would be like knocking on people's doors saying, okay, so how do we produce a beverage that doesn't have a shelf life uh, uh, that is, you know, three weeks, but instead six months? And how do we find a distributor? I mean, I remember the day that I was calling these things. I'm holding up a cap. I was... uh I always thought that this was called a cap in the beverage industry. This is called a closure. It took me like six really. Months. I always call it a cap, Bottle right? Cap. And so, but <laughs> when you actually call something in an industry by the correct name, you the the world opens up for you, right? You you're now on the program, right? It's just you're in the club because you've called it. What's it called? A closure. Like, oh. Oh. I mean, not very inspiring. I remember just thinking, I've done it, I've made it, and just little victories like that along the way. You know, I'm still smiling 15 years later, right? Where I, I look at so many of my friends who are like, maybe I should go launch my own company, and or maybe I should go join a board. And I'm always, you know, saying, I mean, you could, but I mean, a being an entrepreneur, there's a way easier ways to make money. There's right there. It's not, you don't, yeah. Entrepreneurship is not necessarily, you know, you don't do it just for the money. Um, you know, it's funny. uh, Jim has come back and said that was amazing. Your answer, by the way. And he's also said 91% of the population do a job they don't like. And he said that he's in the the lucky 9% and thanks God every day for that. So that's, but you're right. I mean, you know, entrepreneurship, I call it the roller coaster, right? I don't know. It's not my term. It's just what I think it feels like. You have your best day and your worst day often on the same day, right? You know, yeah, you know what I mean, I, right? But you've got to like that. You've got to realize that if you don't enjoy the journey, the destination is not going to make a difference regardless because the journey is where it all happens, right? In that moment. And you have to learn to celebrate what you've accomplished too. And I think that that's, you know, another thing that I've learned along the way is that, you know, if you don't do that and, you know, clearly I've, I've talked to entrepreneurs about that. Sometimes I'm the one that reminds them that where were you a few years ago when you really didn't think you were going to be able to get out of a situation and talk to me about that. I feel like sometimes I'm a therapist for reminding people about those, you know, hard times. And, you know, sometimes you just have to be able to do that. And I think it's, it really is training your mind to be able to do uh, that sort of stuff. So it's, uh, but, you know, even board stuff that if you join a board, nobody's going to ask you to be on a board unless you've actually got experience. And so then are you really learning anything? Maybe, but maybe not. Maybe you're yeah. just actually teaching. And and so I don't you've know. You've got to learn. I mean, my, my experience of this is you've got to learn, do, teach, then leverage, right? So there's a piece there where you've got to learn to do something somewhere and then you have to do it and then you can teach it. But I mean, I know that's not in all cases, but but as a model, but you know, what you, what you're expressing tonight, and I listen intently to these things is you're, you're expressing mindset all the way through this, mm-hmm. right? It's a resilience and a grit. Uh, and, and, you know, it's, it's, you, I think you're obviously very aware of that, but it's, it's, it's come through in every single one of your answers. Yeah. And I think that the, you know, people have asked me over the years too, as you have children as well. I mean, I have, you know, four Gen Zers and, you know, now, and I I remember when they were really little, when I was launching Hint and there were days I felt guilty. I thought, oh gosh, you know, should I go take a cushy job and make lots of money? And, you know, and what am I teaching them? And there were times when I'd put them to bed and I'd be back on working. And, and uh, I remember when my 12 year old son uh, is now 18, but when he was 12, 
he was watching Sheryl Sandberg on television and he uh, he said, mom, I just realized that women aren't CEOs. And I thought, oh, great. I got to go through this with my 12 year old son now. And <laughs> he said, I don't I don't really understand it because you've been a great CEO. And I and I said, well, thank you. That, that's really nice. And he said, well, I, I just don't understand. Like, what, what's the problem? And I remember the next day he came back from his tennis lesson and uh, he plays a ton of tennis. And he said, why do we separate the girls from the boys teams? Because there are girls that are better tennis players than boys. And I said, maybe you should go work on it. And he said, I think I will, because it should be based on their abilities, not based on their gender. And, and again, I never had that conversation with him. I just showed him and I just went and did it. And there was, and, and again, I think just by actually doing what you love and just enjoying and smiling. And I mean, I'm working on stuff around clean water in Washington right now. And as he said, I mean, he, he said to a, a friend of mine the other day, he said, what does your mom do? And he said, you know, I, I don't really know how to define that, but I think she has a really good time and she loves taking on the beverage industry. And I thought, <laughs> I, I, I thought, wow. Uh, that's, but, but, how, but how cool is that though? Like, you know, that's, that's the impression that you and left on him. And he, and he will be a better human for being able to have seen that. Indeed. And feel that way, right? Everything and is about how you show up, right? You know, and 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 that that you know, sometimes I I know from my experience and also working with lots of different entrepreneurs and business leaders, you sometimes don't realize that in the moment. No, because right? I mean, my my daughter comes, my nine year old comes up and says the most intelligent, uh, astute questions, observations, really, yeah. and I'm like, did did you really do you notice that? <laughs> Yeah, right. no, I, and they and they do. They're little sponges, but I I'm a huge believer that if you enjoy what you're doing, and it and they really see that there's passion and there's purpose and all of those things. I you know my two two out of four of my kids were homeschooling. Uh, they're in three of them are in university and one's in high school, and they were back here and and. You know, I remember my daughter saying to me, have you ever managed during a pandemic? I mean, I'm the CEO of a company, right? That I'm sitting here trying to figure out what life is like. And I said, nope, I never, never done the pandemic, but I will because I have to. And she said, okay, I'm just, I was just wondering, you know, was there, and, <laughs> you know, along the way. and she would, and, and then, you know, one of the things that I did two weeks in, because I, you know, here we are telling our employees that they're not going to be sheltering in place because they're essential workers that need to go into stores. And I said, here's your N95 mask that we had left over from the fires in, in, uh, in the Bay Area. And here's your gloves and hand sanitizers. And you know, it, was, it was scary. And, and people, I had employees who were saying to me, uh, you know, are you trying to kill me? And they were serious. I mean, they were, you know, they, I cared about them and, and I didn't know if I was doing the right thing, frankly, but I knew that I had to do what I was doing in order to have enough water on the store shelves and, and really support the stores. And so I took on a route in Marin County where I live. And I mean, I remember some people saying our CEO is actually taking on a route. And I said, just don't get too excited about that, but I'm, I'm, this is what I'm doing. And I, and I went back to my roots of where I was 15 years ago, primarily because I wanted to make sure that I was doing the right thing for my employees. But I also found that once I was in there in the stores, I started telling our sales team, you know, texting them saying, Hey, by the way, uh, I'm going into the stores before seven o'clock in the morning because there's no people and I feel much safer and you can do whatever you want. But that's my strategy. And then all of a sudden, people started doing that too. And, and in some ways, I've never been in the military, but maybe that's the same kind of mentality that you make sure that your team is set up for success just by going and doing. And there's a lot of different ways I get guests to do it. But it's, I no it comes back to, it comes, as is what I said, it's how you show up. You know, it's, it's often said the whole thing about, you know, how you do anything is how you do everything, right? You know, and, totally. and that's a sense of it. Um, 
respectful of your time because we've been going for about Thank 15 you. minutes odd and I know you've got other stuff to do, but we're going to do a very kind of last couple of questions, if that's all right. Yeah. Um, who has been, it's kind of a bit of a quick fire. <laughs> who has been the most inspirational person that you have associated with, um, which maybe has underpinned the success in your career? So many people along the way. Yeah, you've got to do uh, one. I'm not going to let you. I'm not going to let you do five, three. You've got to say, there's got, is, is there one? It might even not be the one that's the biggest. It might be one that just stands out to you, might have said a word or something that really kind of made you think differently and change things. Well, I would say family naturally. I think there's just different people along the way that have said things to me that I've really, that have sort of stopped me in my tracks. But um, another one that I had dinner next to and, uh, is is one of the endorsements on my book is Jamie Dimon, who's uh, J.P. Morgan Chase. And I think I was probably the only one in the world who didn't know what Jamie looked like um, prior to sitting down next to him at a dinner. That, uh, and, <laughs> that uh, right? so you, you were like talking to this guy and thinking whatever. And yeah, wow. truly, it was a it was a dinner in San Francisco that I was invited to. Um, and I knew it was put on by J.P. Morgan Chase, but nobody was around in my house that night. Everybody was off in their activities. And so I I just figured it was like free chicken, right? I, uh, well, somebody else is cooking, right? And so I show up at the dinner. Well, you don't have to feed. Was it five children or something like that? Yeah, very nice man says, oh, by the way, I walk in 15 minutes later. He said, oh, you're you're actually next to me. And I said, oh, terrific. I sit down and everybody's like trying to get this guy's attention. I, I, I you know, there was no name tags and a bunch of Bitcoin guys trying to talk to Jamie and, and, uh, Anyway, he's like, so what do you do? I think he was probably trying to avoid their conversations. And I said, oh, I, I, you know, run this company Hint. And uh, so we started talking and, and uh, he had never heard of it before. Anyway, net of it is, is uh, by the end of the night, he had heard from a bunch of people who were coming up to me, were Silicon Valley CEO saying, oh my gosh, do you know how much Hint I drink in my office? He said, where have I been? I mean, why, why have I not heard of this product? And I said, well, I'll send you a case. And he drops me a card. I'd stick it in my purse. I didn't even know who it was. And then I, I get home and I said to my husband, I said, I was just sitting, like having a full on conversation about he had just come back. J Jamie had just come back from having uh, cancer. And uh, we were talking about cancer for about 45 minutes, not even what you think you would be talking to, you know, chairman and CEO chief who runs like pretty much the, you know, world economic oh, market. economics and finances. Yes. Right. And, and that's when, you know, anyway, the, that was sort of the beginning. I shot him and, you know, I sent him a case. He was very kind, sent me a note back and said, uh, you know, I think what you're doing and after talking to you last night is really important. And it's, it's, you know, it's, your purpose is so clear and your passion is so clear. And I was like, oh, you're just being really nice. And anyway, over the years, uh, I met him about four years ago now, over the years when I've had any questions about building my business and sort of, you know, do I go right or do I go left? You know, I don't talk to him on a weekly basis, but having those people who can, you can reach out to them when you have pain points. Do I do a SPAC? Do I raise more money? You know, what, how do I think about things? And I are just so critical. And like you said, that they just say things that are just genius in your mind, right? That are things that you just didn't really think about along the way. Yeah. Having those people, I've had many of those. And, and I get that from the conversations I have on the podcast too. And, you know, I think about my journey the last couple of years and my knowledge of just stuff, right? Just from the conversations has increased, but you have to have those people. I often say that the people who are the most successful are the ones you call sometimes mentors more often. It's just having those people in your world. Right. Um, well, and they make and, it, they make it a lot more fun. Nice <laughs> too, is that, you know, I have, I've met a lot of really, you know, call them famous people. People are just people. And I think that the more you can just be yourself and, and, you know, you just don't, I don't, I don't know. I've, I've learned it along the way. I mean, I remember when one of our investors, uh, John Legend, um, called me on the 800 number on our bottle and I didn't know who John was. And he was explaining, I said, I mean, this is before Chrissy, this is way, be, you know, a long time ago. And I said, I'm sure you're very important, but I don't know who you are. And oh, I didn't even know who John Legend is. He's a singer, isn't he? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> See, I'm going to get, there's going to be all these people listening to this going, Nick, come on, man, seriously, you've got to know. <laughs> but- yeah. I mean, it's, but it's, you know, it's really interesting because again, still to this day, I mean, you know, it's just, it, it you know, again, I don't, talk to these people all the time you're but, right they're people right they're, i mean and, and you're right and, and sometimes we can make we can make things like when i was talking to jesse itzler last night really interesting conversation and you know he's just a guy right you know he happens to have some success but you know he has some really interesting principles that are interesting because of that success and that's where the learning happens but he's just a guy and he wasn't he wasn't arrogant about anything just wanted to tell his story and help people yeah. And I think that that's the same. That's the thing that I've learned too. I mean, they probably, they probably have less time, right? That time is the most valuable thing that I've realized about so many people in any different industry. The more success you have, I think that the more time constrained you are and, uh, or at least you feel, no, you it know, it feels like that. I agree. We got one last really hard question. It's a really hard question. You ready? Yeah. Okay. So, so when this is all said and done, right? You know, and kind of everything's finished, you know, your life is at that last piece. What are the five or so words that are on your tombstone that oh, you want to be remembered by? So tough. Told you uh, it's hard. Yeah. So I hate you. at the beginning, I said, I wasn't gonna tell you, but yeah. What, what's your legacy is really the question. What's the thing that you want to be known for? Yeah, I think uh, that I not only tried, but I gave people the ability to realize that they could. Right. And, See, and I good, good answer. See, good answer. You didn't have to overthink that. Yeah. <laughs> say, that it, say that again. Say that again. So that I tried, but I also gave people the ability to know that they could. And that is in whether it's my family, whether it's my friends, whether it's people I don't really know, entrepreneurs, whatever. I think that that just by being an example of somebody that could just goes out and does, I think is oftentimes the most underrated thing that allows people to really, you know, be happy and ultimately, you know, go and do what they should be doing. And and I think that, that that's, that's something I think about a lot. And certainly I, you know, want for my kids and I want, you know, just by helping, right. And, and trying to bring, um, bring people to their, their best, I think is really how I think about it. And, uh, and then also, I think that the only way you can get there too, is by being humble, by being kind and, you know, even talking about Jamie or John or, you know, other people that I've had the privilege of being able to talk to. And, you know, I, I, I just don't think that you can be an asshole. And if I can say that, right. And I know you're and, not a swear, but, yeah, but I want like, people to, the reason I ask this question, I want people to, I always like to leave my guests with a lasting point. Right. Yeah. So I like, I like people to like, you know, cause I think it's, the last thing you say is often what's remembered. Yeah. You know and, what I mean? And, 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 and that's it's an important piece of it that it eventually catches up to you. And I think that that is, that that's the most important uh, piece for me is being able to be a lifter, um, but also be somebody who is appreciative and kind and grateful. So thank you. So where can people find you, Cara? (laughs) I mean, we've obviously got, I've got here, uh www.drinkhint.com forward slash scale up yeah so that so that is for the website uh you can also go to amazon audible to get the book and then also i'm on kara golden it's uh with an i uh for golden all over social media and hopefully we'll see you on clubhouse too yeah uh, we're gonna do that so yeah we'll know, get you. let me know because um i'll get your details and then you can kind of let me know when you're coming Anytime. in and um to, to yeah. I'll pull you up on stage. And as I said, we get a couple of thousand people in the rooms of all sorts. Um, I think you'll enjoy it, you know, and uh, I've got a co-host there as well who likes to ask equally challenging questions. <laughs> I, you know, I've kind of heard it all at this point, especially having, you know, we should do a conversation. I was telling a friend the other day that I've got the whole Gen Z thing down. I thought I had since 70% of the work 
the workforce are millennials. I thought I had that down, but now spending my last year with my Gen Zers and I've got two girls and two boys. That's, there's a big difference between the two. You're ahead of the curve on me. Cause I, you know, I didn't even know what the definitions are anymore. I didn't even know what I am. <laughs> yeah. Well, we, I got, I got it all down and, and uh, you know, very different. Uh, but it's, it's a whole other topic that I think is, is really, really interesting and what's coming into the workforce and who well, you're going to your next, that can be your next book. There you go. You've yeah. already got it written down. Well, very <laughs> And, and again, like it could be a great clubhouse conversation, but very different than, you know, millennials, not that millennials are bad, but just different. And they think differently about things. And, and anyway, I just think it's fascinating. I will make sure let's connect on that. And when you're popping in, what usually happens is people pop in for a few minutes as long as they need, and then it's great fun. So listen, um, thank you. Thanks for coming on the show. It's been great. Thanks for the live stream. Thanks for listening everyone. And hopefully we'll get a chance to connect more. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much. Thank you. And there you have it. Another episode of Scale Up Your Business. Thank you very much for listening. And if you haven't yet, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It really does help the show become even better. And while you're there, make sure you hit that subscribe button to help you on your scale up journey. Now, perhaps you're thinking of growing and scaling your business. Perhaps now is the time. If that's you, then please check out suyb.global. That's where we have all of our programs, including the Growth Accelerator Partnership, the Maximize Value Partnership, all of our services, and of course, coaching and mentoring. Once again, be grateful, be brave, have faith, and show up. Until next time.